Today we are in the second part uh, of a three-part series that we are doing called A Better Freedom. Eric started us off on June 23rd, and Gene Griner is going to be finishing the series next Sunday. And what Eric did in week one is he wanted to really emphasize this point, that the freedom we have in Christ is better than any other type of freedom we can ever desire, and certainly better than all the different, what he called counterfeit freedoms, that we so often seek. This week, I'm talking about what could be a critique that a person could make after hearing Eric's sermon. Not of his sermon, but of the idea that Christianity brings freedom. What a number of people have said is, Christianity doesn't bring freedom. Christianity is more like a straitjacket. Christianity is confining. One person who I thought made this point pretty succinctly is Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, the actor, he grew up in a Christian home. And this is what Brad Pitt said. He said, many people find religion to be very inspiring. Myself, I found it very stifling. I grew up with Christianity, and I remember questioning it greatly. There might be some people here, uh, maybe you're growing up in a Christian context, and you feel like, you know, I agree with Brad Pitt. I can't wait to get old enough to stop coming to church, to stop feeling like I need to play the game that I'm a Christian, because I just find all of this really limiting and stifling. Or maybe you're here and you hear this being said by people who haven't chosen to come to Christ. And you're thinking, I don't know that I want to say I'm a Christian because I don't know what I would say to that critique. I don't know what I would say if someone were to say, how can you be a Christian? Aren't Christians the enemy of true freedom? It's because these issues are so prevalent in our homes and our churches, in our world, that I think it's important that we spend some time today dealing with this question. Is Christianity truly bring freedom Or really, does it bring just restrictions that are stifling? Now, we're going to walk through the passage of verses 7 through 15 that we looked at before to answer that question. Before we do, I want to give you a little bit of background on the book of Galatians and the passage we're looking at. So Galatians is a book in the New Testament, which is significant because the New Testament actually starts. To understand Galatians, you need to start with the beginning of the New Testament, where we say Jesus is life, death, and resurrection. And after Jesus rises from the dead, he says to his disciples, I want you to go, leave Jerusalem, and I want you to make disciples of all those nations that are in the world outside of Israel, where there's all these Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And I want you to make them disciples. One of Jesus's disciples who went and took Jesus at his word was Paul, an early Christian leader, one they call an apostle, which means one who was sent Today, we think of missionaries, people who were sent out to other countries. Paul did that, and he went to Galatia, one of the places he went, which is modern-day Turkey, actually. So Paul goes to Turkey. He tells people about Jesus. A number of people come to Jesus. But after Paul leaves to go somewhere else, some other people come to teach the Galatian Christians. And they say, you know, probably in effect, Paul, if he had time with you, was going to tell you what else you needed to be a Christian. What you need in addition to faith in Jesus and giving your life to him, you need also to basically become Jewish. You need to do circumcision, which is a cutting off of the flesh, so that you can have an outward sign of the fact that you're part of God's Jewish covenant family. 
And probably along with that, there were other works of the law, like the dietary laws, like eating kosher, like keeping Sabbath. You need to do this as well to be a Christian. Paul saw these restrictions that were being put on the Galatian Christians, and he was really upset, more upset than he was in any of his other letters. And we're going to see why in a moment. So Paul's dealing specifically with the issue that Brad Pitt's dealing with, which is, is Christianity really freeing or is Christianity really restricting? And this is what I think we're going to see as we walk through this passage, that what we're called to as Christians is a freedom of restriction, a freedom of restriction. You're all thinking that is not clear at all. What are you talking about? Well, what we're going to see is it means at least three things. First, it means that we are free from certain restrictions that inhibit us from following Christ. But we're also free, actually, through other restrictions that liberate us to follow Christ. And finally, what we're called to is to know the difference as followers of Christ between those two. So first, we're called to be free from certain types of restrictions. If you were to say, or if someone were to say to any of us, you know, Christianity, you guys can be really restrictive at times. You can be really inhibiting to people. I think our first answer should be, you're right. Like we need to own that first and foremost. Because sometimes we put restrictions in place that do inhibit people from following Christ. Notice Paul makes this point. In uh, verse 7, Adam read that passage. Go with me on verse 7 of chapter 5 of Galatians. Paul says this, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Paul basically uses the metaphor of track and field. They had these sports back during Paul's day in the first century. And he's saying, as he says in other letters, the Christian life is basically a race where you're running after Christ towards the finish line. But he says there were other people who called themselves Christians who actually cut in on you, just like this guy's cutting in on other runners, keeping you from running this race and obeying the truth, the truth from God. So he's saying these restrictions, this restriction of you have to be circumcised and become Jewish, that's damaging your ability, Galatian Christians, to run this race. Because what you're learning is it's not enough just to be a Christian by following Christ and by giving your life to him. To be a Christian, you need to be Jewish first. And this new family that God was putting together of Jews, Gentiles, Romans, uh, Spaniards, Germans, Israelites. He was making this new family where the sign was no longer circumcision. The new sign was faith in Jesus. And by these other people coming in and giving these restrictions, they were actually inhibiting the Galatian Christians from freely following Christ as Galatians. And Paul was really concerned about that. And when you think about that in our day and age, we're probably, as Eric mentioned in his first sermon, we're probably not so much trying to make each other get circumcised in order to be Christians. But we do put other restrictions in place in our modern times that have just as damaging effect and inhibiting some people, whether they're growing up in the church or whether they're just considering Christ, of actually running this race towards him. I'm going to give you two examples. One example is what's happened in churches Another example is what happens in our own homes as Christians. In our churches, we all know of the story of the civil rights movement and how back reached its boiling point in the 1950s and 60s, but it started well before that time. 
that there were certain restrictions put in place by people who called themselves Christians, they were white Christians, on black people, many of whom were black Christians. Restrictions that we call them Jim Crow laws in terms of when they were actually legislated, like blacks are restricted from being able to use the same bathrooms as whites. Or blacks are restricted from sitting on the bus with whites. Or blacks are restricted from eating in the same restaurant with whites. This even infiltrated churches where black people were not allowed in some churches or would have to sit separately from the white Christians in some churches. Certainly they were restricted from expressing themselves in worship according to their own black culture and tradition. So just like the Jews and Gentiles were being restricted specifically Galatian Christians, from being able to worship God in their own culture, that was the same thing that was happening to black Christians during this time. And this was actually leading to a number of black Christians to leave the faith. And Martin Luther King Jr., when he was, uh, during one of his imprisonments, wrote to a number of white pastors, and this is what he had to say to them. My dear fellow clergymen, the black Muslim movement nourished by frustration over the continued existence of racial discrimination, is made up of people who have absolutely repudiated Christianity and who have concluded that the white man is an incorrigible devil. In other words, black Christians were leaving the church because of the restrictions that were being put in place by white Christians and becoming Muslims, worshiping Allah instead of Jesus. That's what can happen when restrictions are put in place, even in our own times, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, we send the message that says, in our church, you know, still, I read a statistic, 87% of churches are still segregated, basically, in the country. And when any tradition, whether it's white, black, Hispanic, Asian, says, in our church, we only worship this way, you can't worship as Jew plus Gentile plus barbarian plus Scythian, we are putting limitations that Paul would have said is keeping people from being able to freely follow Christ. That can happen in our churches, but these restrictions that inhibit us from running this race, it can also happen in our Christian homes too. I told you a little bit about Brad Pitt's story. I also came across the story of Katy Perry. Some of you guys know Katy Perry. She is a singer, songwriter, performer, and she actually grew up in a Christian home. And at a certain point, she became an adult, walked away from that faith, and was reading different interviews from Katie, and she had given different restrictions that were uh, put in place in her home that she said worked towards causing her to leave the faith. It's probably hard for some of you to read these, but we'll read them. She said, I wasn't allowed to buy non-Christian music, and the only book my mother read to me from was the Bible. I wasn't allowed to watch much TV, and it was very censored. It was really strange. And get this, I wasn't allowed to watch the Smurfs. I wasn't allowed to eat deviled eggs because they were called deviled. So I had to call them angel eggs before I put them in my mouth. You don't celebrate Halloween, certainly not. And I grew up in basically a bubble beyond the bubble. I had restrictions on even people I could know outside of the church. Now, This isn't a judgment on Katie's parents. I don't know Katie's parents, but it's an example of the fact that there are restrictions that are at times put on younger believers that cause them to say, I don't want anything to do with this. If this is Christianity, this is just so constraining, so much like a straitjacket, then as soon as I get a chance, I'm out of here. So we need wisdom, and we'll talk more about that. We need wisdom to know what sort of 
restrictions to put in place. But there are restrictions that can inhibit people from following Christ. It can happen in our churches and it can happen in our own homes. And this was something that even Jesus in his teachings saw happening in his day. This has always been part of what can happen uh, in our churches. He said of the religious leaders of his day, they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. At Grace, are we the type of church that puts restrictions in place that work as burdens on people being able to follow Christ? In our homes, do we put restrictions in place that serve as burdens to people being able to follow Christ? Or do we lessen and ease those burdens? If we're called to a true freedom of restriction, it starts with identifying and removing those restrictions that are, that are actually inhibiting us from running the race. Now, up to this point, it would be easy to think, okay, I've got you. True freedom in Christ means getting rid of all these rules, getting rid of all these restrictions. That's the answer. But Paul sees that the Galatians could go that way, and he wants to warn them of taking that route and saying, that's what true freedom is. Because just as much as it's a freedom from restriction, there's also a freedom that can be found through restrictions. Look at verse 13. So we skip down a little bit to verse 13. Paul says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. He's saying, yes, you're free. You're free from certain restrictions, but don't use that freedom to now think you're free to do whatever you want. You're not free to indulge the flesh, the flesh being the natural fallen human sinful state that all of us have, he's saying you're not free to just do whatever you want and desire, which is how some people define freedom. Freedom is the absence of all constraints and limitations, but not for Paul. And he gives us a quick example here. He says, you need to serve one another humbly in love. Serving one another is a restriction. It means I don't get here at Grace to just do whatever I want to do. I don't just say, I need to get my way in every decision. If I do that, it's going to limit the freedom of the community to flourish. Paul says, there are constraints that you have. There are actually limitations and restrictions that can help liberate us. I think the constraint or the restriction in our day that is most disputed, that gets talked about the most, is the restrictions Christians have around their sexual ethics. If you go on our website, you can see a different number of beliefs we have about God and about humans. And we talk about sexual ethics there. And this is what we say. We say that humanity was created as man and woman and that marriage is ordained by God as a covenant between one man and one woman. Any intimate sexual activity outside of marriage is a violation of God's standards. We think this comes from the Bible but many people would look at that statement and say, this is exactly the type of restriction that needs to be put in that first category. It's inhibiting. It's restrictive of human flourishing. But we at Grace, we believe that actually for Christians, this sort of restriction is actually one of those that's not constraining. It's actually liberating. Why do we think that? Well, for a couple reasons. One is, Again, if you look in verse 13, Paul says, we aren't free to indulge the flesh, which means more than our natural physical state, but it includes that natural physical state. You aren't free 
whether you're a man or a woman, to sleep with as many people as you would like to sleep with. You can't indulge that desire. Even if you think, Dave, that's kind of a natural desire that I've always had. And there's actually books. I saw a book the other day. I uh, haven't read it. But talking more and more about um, doing away with monogamy in our culture and trying to assist people to think in ways that even in their marriages, they can be more open to sleeping with different partners beyond their uh, partner in marriage. So that's a belief that's out there. But Paul stands against that perspective. And, and this is something that actually would have been a constraint for Paul because Paul wasn't married. So as Paul embraced this ethic and said, this is actually an ethic of freedom, he was limiting how he sexually expressed himself. So one reason I believe that this is actually liberating is because this is what we see taught by God in the New Testament. But there's another reason. And that reason is built into the fabric of our world is something many of us agree with, which is we don't just see restrictions that inhibit. Many of us live our day-to-day lives with restrictions that lead us to be liberated. I'll give you a few examples. If you want to, and we'll start with marriage, actually, since we're here. If you want the freedom of a happy marriage over time with a partner, you can't also be free to sleep with whomever you want to sleep with. That's not going to give you freedom in your marriage to have a happy marriage over time. But let's move beyond that. If you want the physical freedom to be able to live long enough to see your grandkids, You can't also have the freedom to eat however much you want and sit on the couch as long as you want and never have to pay attention to your own health. You need to restrict yourself in those areas to have that freedom in terms of your health. If you want financial freedom, you don't want to have to deal with debt. You don't want to, you want to be able to maybe be able to retire one day. You can't also be free to spend as much money as you want and be free not to get a job, right? You need to Restrict yourself every day to wake up and work. You need to restrict how much you spend. You need to restrict yourself in paying your bills if you want financial freedom. I'll just finish with one more. If you want the freedom to do what some of these people are doing up here, playing musical instruments well, you can't be free to spend all your time on video games, right? You need to restrict that video game time and to practice your musical instrument if you want the freedom to play that instrument well. Built into the fabric of how God made our universe is the fact that to experience true freedom as humans, we need to restrict ourselves at times. Now, Tim Keller, I think, gives a really good example of this when he talks about, surprisingly enough, fish. He says, because a fish absorbs oxygen from water and not air, it's free only if it is restricted to water. If it is freed from the river and put on the grass to explore, its freedom is soon destroyed. Real freedom isn't removing restrictions. It's finding the right ones. So yes, there are restrictions that do hinder, that do inhibit people growing up in the church and people outside the church from embracing Christ. We need to remove those. But there are also restrictions that liberate And I've given you some examples of those. Which brings up the question, the third point of being being called to this freedom of restriction. How do we do what Keller says? How do we find the right ones? How do we know the difference between restrictions that inhibit and restrictions that liberate? Well, Paul gives us some clues here in this passage. And what he's basically going to say is, restrictions that inhibit are man-made. They're of human origin. 
But restrictions that liberate come from God. First, let's look at some of these man-made restrictions. After talking about how these restrictions are keeping them from running the race well, look at verse 8. Paul says, That kind of persuasion, those sorts of restrictions, does not come from the one who calls you. It does not come from God. And Paul, as a leader, as an apostle, as one who was interpreting the Old Testament scriptures and saying what is binding for the Christian community, Paul said, they're not from me either. Even though the Galatians were being told, yeah, Paul agrees with us. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. So he's saying, this is not for me. If it was, I'd be getting persecuted from the Jewish leaders. And now look at what he says, probably a statement Adam didn't want to read this morning. Verse 12, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. And you're like, is this in the Bible? Did I just read that? Yes, it's in the Bible. Paul is basically saying, if you're going to be so obsessed with these restrictions of circumcision, cutting off your flesh, cutting off other people's flesh, then maybe you should just emasculate yourself. And we go, Paul, I think you went too far. And I think what I want to say is we want to watch out that we don't, in that response, to domesticate Paul beyond what we know of ourselves. Because any of us, I would think, when we're at home and we're watching TV and we see an image like this of Westboro Baptist Church or other people who claim to be Christians holding up signs with restrictions or statements that are man-made, not from God, and that we know will inhibit certain people from coming to Christ, we get angry, right? We get concerned, just like Paul did. Because restrictions, one way to know the difference is restrictions that are coming from humans that don't derive from what God wants of us are the sorts of restrictions that are inhibiting and the sorts of restrictions we need to stand against as a church. Now, the difference between those restrictions and restrictions that are liberating is that God makes restrictions that liberate. We see them in Scripture. Notice in verse 14 what Paul does to contrast the restriction that he has versus the restrictions that the agitators has. He says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He's appealing to the law to the first five books of the Old Testament, to the Old Testament as a whole, that's the law. And he's saying, this is binding for us. We need to listen to this restriction of love that says, you don't get to have your own way. Now, some people would say, I don't know, I feel like the Bible can be dangerous. I'm not so sure the Bible liberates. I think it restricts. Why would we say that what God says to us, the restrictions he gives are actually liberating? Well, I believe it's for two reasons, because he made us and because he loves us. First, he made us. If he made us, he knows how he designed us. He knows what he's called us to, and he knows what will therefore bring our flourishing and our liberation. This is a new chainsaw, which I have, which I got to work a little bit and then it stopped working. So... Where's John Hawthorne when you need him? I need to give him a call. But one of the things I was doing with this new chainsaw is I was reading the manual, right? Because I wanted to see what were the restrictions in place around dangerous ways I could be using this machine 
And what were the things that they said? Oh, you don't need to worry about it. You can use it this way. You can hold it this way. You can cut this way. Why did I think it was worth paying attention to those restrictions? Because the people who made the chainsaw were involved in telling me how to use it. If I were to say, I think these are too restrictive. I think I want to cut how I want to cut. That might become pretty dangerous for me. I'm going to listen to their restrictions because they made the chainsaw. Similarly, God who made us gives us certain types of restrictions that we can adhere to because he knows how we're made. He knows what will, what will liberate us. He knows that even if we sometimes say, no, 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 thank you. This is what I feel. This is what's natural. He says, no, this is how I made you. This is what I know will bring about your liberation. But there's a reality that we need to consider, which is every single one of us, despite knowing that God made us, despite even saying, I want to follow what you tell me to do. I want to respect the boundaries and the restrictions you give me. All of us can point to specific times in our life where we have walked beyond those boundaries. And the Bible uses language for this. And it sometimes sounds archaic or Christianese, but it's actually pretty concrete. The language used for this sort of action, propensity that we have as humans, is it's called a trespass or a transgression. You hear that in the Lord's Prayer. For those guys who are in the men's discipleship group, we're reading through Ephesians, and Paul uses this term different times. He says, we're dead in our trespasses. Okay? And what he means is what, what basically Paul is saying in verse 15. If you read with me, if you don't respect the restrictions of the God who made you, he says, if you bite and devour each other instead of loving each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Not following the restrictions God gives us leads to our own destruction, not to our liberation. So we are dead in our trespasses. And it's kind of like you ever, I mean, this happens as a kid, but maybe as an adult, you see a sign that says no trespassing. And you think, well, why not? I'm kind of curious. Why are you telling me I can't go beyond that sign? And how many of us And the signs in our life of no trespassing, or we hear God telling us no trespassing, we say, I think I might know better. I mean, that's the oldest story of humanity. We see it in Genesis, you know, three, that humans just say, I think I have a better idea about what restrictions make sense and which don't. But fortunately, he's not just a God who made us with these restrictions. He's a God also who loves us. So he gives us restrictions out of love, but when he sees us, go beyond those restrictions, when he sees us trespass or transgress those restrictions, he loves us enough to help us back over that fence. And he did this through us, through Jesus' death on the cross. Isaiah, which has been the book we've been reading through, do you remember what it says in Isaiah 53? He was pierced for our transgressions. He died for us, for those times we've trespassed and gone beyond those restrictions. But also, by doing that, By his punishment, it says in that same verse, by his punishment, we can have peace with him. So if you're held back from freedom, because you can remember all those times you've done things that you think, wow, I wish I would not have done that. That was not what was best for me. That was completely walking away from God. Those aren't, those experiences don't have to hold you back from true freedom. Because Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, wants to have peace and bring you back to him. We just sung in one of those songs a line that Jesus said himself. If the Son sets you free, John 8, 
you are free indeed. That is the better freedom we can experience, which is a freedom of restriction, which means freedom from all those ways that humans try to constrain one another with man-made rules and freedom through those restrictions that God as our maker and as our lover has given us for our flourishing and help through scripture to be able to know the difference between those two. And if you're thinking, I'm not smart enough, I don't know the Bible well enough to know how to discern those different sorts of restrictions that inhibit and restrictions that liberate, this is one reason why we have discovery classes, which are starting up in the fall, which we encourage you to come to, where we try to explore the scriptures. This is a reason we have women's Bible study. This is a reason we have men's discipleship group, where we're trying to learn how to get into the scriptures day after day. But there's another thing which Paul is going to tell us we need to do if we're to have the wisdom to know the difference between restrictions that inhibit and restrictions that liberate. We need to be able to live by the spirit that he's given us. How do we do that? That's what you need to come back next week for, because that's what Gene is going to be talking about in this third week in our series that we're calling A Better Freedom. Would you pray with me? Father, we first confess the different ways that we have come up with restrictions and have made it hard. We've, as Jesus said, put burdens on people in our churches, in our homes, that have at times kept them from being able to freely follow you. We confess those, and we just ask that you would help us to spot those and have the wisdom to know how to respond and to even apologize to people that we may have restricted. But Lord, we also want the wisdom to know what restrictions in our life are actually liberating for our flourishing physically, spiritually, relationally. Help us through the scriptures, help us through the spirit, help us through conversations with one another to discern what sorts of restrictions in our life can actually help us so that we can experience that better freedom that you have called us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.